And I hope you'll keep your place there in Ephesians 6 with me, particularly verses 18 to 20 this morning. So when it comes to the heat of battle, or perhaps the fog of war as it has so often been described, isn't it true that communication with one's commanding officer is vital for victory? A lifeline for survival when facing a superior enemy and often overwhelming odds. That's what we're going to talk about today with prayer. Listen, Paul's purposeful pivot to the priority and power of prayer in the arena of spiritual warfare here in Ephesians 6 reminds me of some of my all-time favorite war movies. Yes, Pastor Dan likes a good war movie every now and then. Movies like Saving Private Ryan or We Were Soldiers. That's a really, really moving uh, film. Hacksaw Ridge of more recent years or Black Hawk Down, the famous tank film Fury or Darkest Hour, the film about Winston Churchill. Even an older film by the name of Wind Talkers. Perhaps you uh, can already begin to conjure up some of those images which uh, are really thrilling but also quite terrifying. For those of us who are fortunate enough not to ever be personally acquainted with military combat, and we do have a number of veterans in our congregation, and men and women, we commend you and thank you for your service on behalf of our country. But for those of us who have never been in the heat of combat, without these movies, we may not be able to even have a clue as to the real chaos and confusion that inevitably takes place out on the battlefield. It is hell on earth. There is something surreal about these graphic scenes of radio men relaying life and death messages of field commanders up the chain of command or of the orders of commanding generals, probably often far from the field of battle, down the chain of command to lieutenants and privates caught up in a frenzy of bullets and bombs. Well, friends, in a similar sense, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, here the Apostle Paul places the great subject of Christian prayer in the context of spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. That is, here Paul does not paint a portrait of prayer that is idyllic and serene for us as Christ followers, set in the tranquility of a quiet and calm garden or a leisurely conversation between two friends taking a walk. But instead, Paul describes prayer as, listen, desperate wartime communication. That communication from the front lines of our faith, while bullets and bombs explode and burst all around us. Have you ever thought of prayer in that way? Well, in so doing, Paul reminds us today that prayer, God's gift to us of prayer, is itself a form of battlefield communication between soldiers who are Christians and their sovereign commander who is in heaven. Now, it needs to be said that that idea of prayer as a wartime communication is not new to me, but rather back in the early 1990s, a famous contemporary pastor by the name of John Piper, many of you have heard of John Piper, wrote a very important book. The book, ironically enough, was on missions, and it was entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. 
And in that book, John Piper famously defined and described prayer this way. He says, quote, prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, that is Jesus, called in the troops and gave them a crucial mission. Go and bear fruit. He handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, Comrades, the general has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. Pastor Piper goes on to write that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to come and change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie intended to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are alone. However, if you try to turn this into a domestic intercom simply to bring another pillow, it malfunctions. And you wonder why? It is because it's not made to be an intercom. Prayer is made to be a wartime walkie-talkie. Closed quote. That's a pretty vivid description of this such a common experience for us as Christians called prayer. Well, along these same lines, again, here in Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 20, after sounding the call and the severe alarm to the reality of spiritual warfare in the life of every single one of us as Christians, and moreover, after having surveyed this six-piece set of spiritual armor provided for us in Ephesians chapter 6, that every Christian is meant to put on in the power of Christ in preparation for this fierce battle here at the very end of this section on the armor of God. The Apostle Paul now instructs us concerning the manner in which we wield these weapons of our warfare, namely in prayer. You see, prayer we see here in this passage, is not a new or extra weapon that we use, but rather prayer is itself the means by which we employ and engage every other piece of vital armor from God. Prayer, then, is how the Christian soldier puts on the belt of truth. Prayer is how we as Christ's followers put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul tells us that prayer is how we slip on the shoes fitted for the gospel of peace. Prayer is how we take up the shield of faith in order to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy that are aimed to destroy us and to defeat us. Paul says that prayer is how we as in Christ's army don the helmet of salvation and how we take up the sword of the Spirit which is the work of God. Christian, if you are not praying, you are not prepared for battle. Prayer, as one writer, Oswald Chambers, once said, does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. In other words, prayer is that secret to our spiritual success in the battle. John Bunyan, the famous author of The Pilgrim's Progress, has said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Beloved, prayer is what animates, orients, and energizes each and every inch of spiritual armor we've received from Almighty God. It helps us adorn every spiritual weapon from the Lord. 
Prayer, as Brian reminded us earlier in our worship package, is how we put on the armor of light, to borrow the phrase from Romans chapter 13, verse 12. It is how we clothe ourselves with the very righteousness and the very goodness of King Jesus himself. As I said last week, he has won the victory for us. Paul instructs us that prayer is how we rely on the strength of Almighty God, according to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Well, you know, it's noteworthy to me as we begin to press into this text that Paul mentions prayer not only here at the end of Ephesians, but he mentioned prayer at the beginning of Ephesians. He mentioned prayer in the middle of Ephesians and again here at the end of this letter. Paul, remember, closes out the opening chapter of Ephesians in verses chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, 23 with a prayer that these very Ephesian Christians would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Spiritual light for spiritual warfare. To the immensity of the hope and riches and power of Christ, which is theirs. Paul likewise caps off chapter 3 in the middle of Paul's letter. Excuse me. Particularly verses 14 to 21. With his second great prayer for the church to be strengthened with power... Through God's, uh, through God's Spirit in their inner being. And now here, finally at the end of his letter, Paul concludes chapter 6 with what I'll share with you today is a seven-part description of this wartime walkie-talkie. What is this transmitter of truth? How should we use it on the battlefield of our faith? And finally, why is prayer mission-critical? For us as we engage in spiritual warfare. Let me front load for you these seven aspects of Christian prayer. And then I'll unpack them one by one in the balance of our time this morning. Firstly, Paul reminds us that prayer is non-stop communication with God the Father in heaven. Prayer is to be non-stop communication. He says it as much when he says praying at all times. Secondly, Paul reminds us that prayer is spirit-enabled or spirit-directed communication with God the Father, praying at all times, notably in the Spirit. Third, Paul tells us here that prayer is also multifaceted communication. It's not monolithic or or only one-sided. It's it's multidimensional, multifaceted communication with the Father, praying with all prayer and supplication, he says in verse 18. Prayer is a challenging and very difficult work, as we all know. Therefore, we are called to wide-eyed communication. He says, to that end, keep alert in prayer. Fifthly, Paul instructs us that we are to practice never-say-die communication. As he says, pray with all perseverance. Prayer is not just for you or for me, but it's for us. And therefore, we see in the sixth part that we are encouraged towards others-oriented communication in this passage, making supplication for all the saints, not just for myself or yourself. And then lastly, in the seventh place, we find that Paul invites us to have gospel-centered communication in order to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Listen. As we reflect today on this important key to spiritual victory, and I'm convinced that we cannot experience the victory that Christ has provided for us apart from prayer, 
we see that prayer then is a wartime radio for every Christian's spiritual battle. I want you to encourage you as we go through this to do a sort of comms check. Check your own radio. Make sure that it's on. Make sure that it's functioning. Make sure that it's on the right frequency that you're listening in to the Word of God, not the wisdom of the world. Because the reality is, as I've said several times in this short mini-series, in this larger series, we are at war. We are at war, but not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness and cosmic forces. Therefore, we must be in communication with heaven's command center. Our adversary, the devil, is amply armed with mortars and machine guns filled with deceptions and distractions and doubts and destructive ideas aimed at destroying us. And if we are not in communication with the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be out of place and we will be overwhelmed. But friends, fellow soldiers, we have a direct line of communication. Therefore, we need not fear because we know that God is with us. We have access in Christ to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And friends, aren't these times of need for us these days? So Christians, check your gear. Make sure your radio is on. Let's check it out together this morning. Well, again, in the first part, we find that prayer, Paul reminds us, is really to be nonstop communication with God the Father. That is, we are maintained, uh, instructed to maintain constant contact with God in Christ. Again, verse 18, and the first six are going to come from one verse alone, tells us that we are to pray or praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, it's here that I want to point out something that ought to be relatively obvious to those of you that are following Paul closely in this passage. There's a little three-letter word that keeps popping out to my eyes as I read Paul's words here. It's that little word, all. Do you see it in the text? It's the Greek word pas, or a derivative of the Greek word pas. And in verse 18 alone, Paul employs the word all four times. Notice, Notice what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, there's every moment in every direction with manifold prayer and always maintaining that need of communication with the Father. In addition to verse 18, go back to verse 16, and Paul uses the the little phrase all twice more. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the devil. What's Paul's point? It's that prayer is not a meager weapon. His point is that prayer is not a flare gun reserved for only emergency circumstances or situations, but rather it is to be an open channel of communication intended for all seasons and all circumstances before the Father. There's never a moment that we aren't to be in touch with the Lord in prayer. 
The English Puritan John Flavel wrote, The devil is aware that one hour of intimate, spiritual, and earnest communion with God in prayer is able to pull down what he has been contriving and building for many a year. The enemy, if you haven't noticed, hates when we pray. He hates when we pray because our prayers accomplish great things. In fact, the devil will do anything to keep us from praying. And unfortunately, these days, it doesn't take an awful lot to keep many of us from praying. Friends, prayerlessness in the life of a Christian impoverishes us and exposes us to the sneak attacks and frontal assaults of our real enemy, who is Satan himself. And this is why Paul so often in his beautiful letters reminded Christians, he reminded the church to keep in constant communication with God the Father in prayer. Recall 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, sandwiched around two other great verses. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's always in season to be in prayer. Remember as well what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where he writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. See, we send off these flare bursts when we're in trouble, but God wants us to maintain constant contact, constant communion with Him through the gift of prayer. Perpetual prayer is what makes for powerful Christians, powerful people of God, perpetual prayer, always giving ourselves to prayer. So beloved, are you under attack now? And many of you might be able to say, yes, I am. I feel I'm under attack. What should you do? You should pray. Brother or sister, are you preparing for attack? What should you do? You should pray. Christian, have you gone through an attack? What should you do? You should pray a prayer of thanksgiving and rejoicing that God has seen you through that season of trial. Any and all circumstances are the right moment for prayer before Almighty God. Wartime warriors, just like prayer warriors, seek to maintain constant, non-stop communication with God the Father in heaven. Secondly, not only is it non-stop, but also it's spirit-directed communication with God the Father. Paul, again, says as much in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, it's interesting to go back into history and notice that the Roman army itself was actually ingeniously inventive when it came to wartime communication. And it needed to be with the frequency and with the extent or the breadth at which the Roman Empire sought to expand. How could you send messages from one place to the next, from one general to the other? Well, oftentimes, as with other ancient armies, we understand that a Roman field officer would dispatch or receive a message via a runner. Someone's job, poor soul, was simply to carry one message from one part of a battlefield to another part of a battlefield, often perhaps without a weapon, just running for one's life to get the message to the boss. This was done either by hoof or by foot. Other times, as I've learned this week, simply sending a runner wouldn't do the trick. 
That's because there was an enemy between the Roman army and uh, their ally or the other segment of their army. At those times, a new way of circumventing or communicating the message was necessary. And so the Romans invented a sort of ancient text messaging, if you will, a way of communicating short message bursts across long distances using, in fact, two sets of Roman flags. These flags, one writer observed, were bright red with Roman numerals, one through five, painted on them, and they were attached to poles that rose about 12 feet in height. And so using these flags, the the Roman leaders would communicate messages one to another, uh, orders for the army to follow, orders like advance now, or archers, fire, and perhaps a few times, full retreat. These were how they communicated messages. But as Christians, Paul's telling us we don't have to use those cipher messages. We communicate in the Spirit. We communicate with God by His own Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit. One Puritan pastor wrote, a godly man is a praying man. For as soon as grace is poured in, prayer is poured out. Prayer is the soul's traffic with heaven. God comes down to us by His Spirit and we go up to Him in prayer. The blessing of Spirit-directed communication is not new in chapter 6. It was anticipated beginning in chapter 1 with the filling of the Holy Spirit, with the sealing of the Holy Spirit as well. As the scripture declares, moreover, in our fight of faith, Jude, verses 20 and 21, but, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and notice, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. To pray then at all times in the Spirit simply means that we are to pray in an attitude of dependence upon God and in accordance with God's directives, or as we sang this morning, according to God's will. How do we know what God's will is if we are not in God's Word and praying according to His Spirit? I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, two verses that I often use in my own prayer life, which John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to what? His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. It's not just what we want or what might be convenient or might work out in a situation, but what God's will is. And he's given us his word in black and white to know his will. John Wesley, the famous Methodist, said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Therefore, friends, we, as we stand up to the reality of spiritual warfare, we actually kneel down on our knees in dependent prayer before God. Well, there's a third facet to prayer that Paul gives us here, and that is that prayer is multifaceted, multidimensional communication with God the Father. The South African Bishop Andrew Murray in his great book on prayer said that where there is much prayer, there will be much of the Spirit. And where there is much of the Spirit, there will be ever-increasing prayer. And I think that's not just the quantity of it, but the quality of it. 
Prayer is a short word with huge implications. It's a little word that children can know and scholars can explore for a lifetime. In fact, in verse 18, Paul uses not just one, but two Greek words for the Christian to know about prayer. The text says, with all prayer, it's the Greek word prosuke, and supplication, a different Greek word, the word desis. In other words, wartime communication, Paul says, with God is not just perpetual or powerful, but it is both praiseworthy and full of petition. The first Greek word there really gets to this idea of of communion with God. The second gets to the idea of requesting from God. The English commentator Matthew Henry then explains, with all kinds of prayer, both public and private, prayer in secret and social and solitary, solemn and sudden, with all parts of prayer, confession of sin, petition for mercy, and thanksgivings for divine favors received, we are to pray. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we abandon prayer as Christians so quickly is that we find ourselves so bored with prayer, much to our shame. We pray the same 10 things, the same 10 ways, and get the same 10 uninspiring results because prayer is stale to us. In contrast to this, Paul says that Christ's battle-tested servants should pray with all prayer, robust, multifaceted, multidimensional praying and supplication. Just to break this down a little bit, what does that look like? Well, it's not just, God, I need you to do, but it's, God, you are awesome because. Prayers of adoration, prayers of, of praise to God, not just for what he's done for us, but for who he is as God himself. Or what about prayers of personal or corporate confession? When was the last time you spent an extended season confessing or naming your sin before Almighty God? Perhaps the the channel is jammed with unconfessed sin. And so that's another way of unpacking this all kinds of prayer. Not just adoration, not just asking, but also confessing one's sin before the Father. Thanksgiving. Supplication, all of these are various ways that we are to pray and pray often and pray regularly before the Lord. Let me just take a a quick moment to put a little plug in for our ministry of prayer here at Trinity. Some of you are new and you may not know some of the things that, that happen in the life of our church on a daily, if not weekly basis here. Let me encourage you on Sunday mornings at 8.30, it's a small circle now, but we have a circle of prayer at 8.30 every Sunday morning for you, for this service, that God's Spirit would be present and would be active. Every Wednesday night, we have a prayer meeting at 6.30. It's sadly, it's a great prayer meeting, but with many, many churches, the Wednesday night prayer meeting has become one of the smallest meetings in the church. Prayer, if you aren't tied up on a Wednesday night, I would encourage you to be here with somebody praying. Small groups and Bible studies, men's and women's groups spend a lot of time studying, but a lot of time praying. And that's a wonderful thing that we do together. Bible studies and and home meeting groups, formal meetings and informal meetings, the bulletin, the prayer sheet, and the email that you receive. The fact of the matter is, and I'm so pleased about this, that prayer is a huge priority for us at Trinity. And it ought to be. It ought to be. Someone said the main lesson about prayer is simply this, do it. 
Do it and do it. You want to be taught to pray? My answer is simply pray and never faint. And you will then never fail. Well, fourthly, Paul reminds us as well, because the battle is fierce, that we are to have wide-eyed communication with God the Father. Because prayer is hard, because our main adversary, the devil, hates when we pray, Paul reminds us that we are to have eyes open when we pray. Jesus' warning to weak and weary disciples just before his arrest in Gethsemane comes to my mind. He says in Mark, the text of the Gospels tell us, Mark 14, verse 38, Jesus' words, watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I often carry with me the Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. And one such prayer is very powerful and very appropriate. The first portion goes like this. Sovereign commander of the universe, I am sadly harassed by doubts, fears, unbelief in a felt spiritual darkness. Have you ever felt that way? My heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at all. Help me, O Lord, to throw myself absolutely and wholly on Thee, for better, for worse, without comfort, and all but hopeless. Give me peace of soul, confidence, enlargement of mind, morning joy that comes after night heaviness. Water my soul richly with divine blessings. Grant that I might welcome thy humble, thy humbling in private, so that I might enjoy thee in public. Give me a mountaintop as high as the valley is low. Thy grace can melt the worst of sinner, and I am as vile as he. As Puritans could pray. Let me ask you, have you had trouble staying awake in prayer lately? Have you had trouble getting started in prayer lately? Well, ask for help. Ask for help from the Spirit. Ask for help from a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you. You are not alone in prayer. The Word of God promises in Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. And not one of God's promises has ever fallen short. Therefore, wake up, wake up, sleepy soldiers of the cross, and keep in constant prayer before the Father. Fifth, we are to pray in a never-say-die sort of way. That is to say, we are to pray perseveringly, as Paul puts it here, keep alert with all perseverance. My mind immediately went to Jesus' famous parable of Luke 18 and the persistent widow. Many of you know that story. The Lord Jesus tells a parable meant to inspire a bit of Holy perseverance amid humble prayer. Luke 18 verse 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. In other words, not give up. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but for a while he refused, but afterward he said to him, 
Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. In other words, did you hear that? Now consider this. Will not God, the true God, give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, will he find those who persevere in prayer? Listen, in a similar way, Paul is relaying what Jesus, our heavenly high commander, has already said. That we ought to be patient even when prayer is hard. We ought to keep calling even when the season is dry. Because God is faithful to his promises. Prayer ought to be made with perseverance, having a never-say-die attitude that believes God hears us when we call on Him, and we receive the request we've had when we ask according to His will. Our prayers are heard in heaven. Number six, this is also very important. I think we do a pretty good job of this here at Trinity. Prayer, Paul reminds us, is others-oriented communication. Yes, pray for yourself. Absolutely. You should pray for yourself. Don't think you've arrived because you need to pray for yourself, but don't just pray for yourself. Pray for others as well. Paul's reminder is actually a a rebuke for some that views prayer as simply a way to get from God what you need for yourself or what you want for yourself. But Paul says prayer is not to be self-absorbed or exclusively self-focused, but rather it is to be others-oriented communication, making supplication, notice in verse 18, for all the saints. Maybe you've noted in one verse we found six characteristics of prayer. Do you think prayer is exciting? I certainly do. Prayer is so exciting you can spend a lifetime pursuing and understanding it. I want you to notice that Paul didn't just preach this, he lived this. He walked this sense of others-centered communication in prayer. I think of Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where the Bible says, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, church, always in every prayer of mine for you, the plural, you all, making my prayer with joy. It's not just Philippians. Colossians 1 opens the very same way. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, when was the last time others in the church were on your lips before the Lord? It should be frequent. It should be regular. We need to have others-oriented praying. And listen, Paul was not alone. One of my favorite heroes of the New Testament is a guy who often gets overlooked. His name is Epaphras. Paul writes about Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4, 
And Epaphras was a man who loved to pray for God's people. Colossians 4 verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in prayer, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Oh, would the Lord raise up a new generation of men and women like Epaphras here at Trinity. No doubt you've heard that the key to joy, J-O-Y, is putting Jesus and others ahead of yourself. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. And that's a good fact for prayer. We need to remember that we don't fight alone. You might feel alone in the fight of faith, but you aren't alone. We fight together in the church. Our spouses and our children, our friends and our fellow helpers and our favorite ministry here at church, we are all engaged in the same great battle for our lives and for the Lord. So who's manning the radio? Who's going to call in the airstrike to rescue a wounded soldier when the enemy is nipping at their heels? As Jude 20 to 23 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy without fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Well, again, Paul packed six incredible characteristics regarding wartime communication. Just in verse 18 alone, he saves just one characteristic over the last two verses that we'll quickly look at. And here he reminds us that prayer, in addition to all of these, is to be gospel-centered communication with God the Father. I want you to notice what Paul does not say in verses 19 and 20. He does not say, and pray also for me that God will bust me right out of this prison. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, and pray also for me that God would smite and rain down smoldering fire on these Roman meanies that have me in jail. He doesn't say that. That's not the sort of battlefield communication that comes from a soldier who's focused on the cross. Instead, Paul adds in verses 19 and 20 of our text, And pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is the point? The point is that Paul's request is about the advancement of Jesus' mission, not the preservation of his own skin. Paul viewed the advancement of the gospel as even more important than his own deliverance from a Roman jail. Do we? In case you might think that Paul just had a temporary lapse of judgment, that he was uh, just deranged from fatigue, he says the same thing to the Colossians. Colossians 4 verses 2 to 4, Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
Paul was a man who had rightly ordered priorities in the practice of prayer. Courage and clarity. Boldness and effective evangelistic activity. This was the essence of Paul's personal petition to the Ephesians. This is why we need to have gospel-centered, gospel-saturated prayer requests from the battlefield of the church. We need more thy kingdom come prayers and less my kingdom come prayers. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. D.L. Moody in the 19th century said, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. How focused are you and I on prayers that advance the cause of Christ and His name and His purposes? Maybe this is one reason why our wartime walkie-talkies are acting up. God's only hearing our own name over the channel. Paul says in verse 10, as I close, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. There was one day a wise and very patient father who wanted to teach his young son an important lesson. He called his boy into the backyard and told him that his only chore for the entire day was to move a big rock from the middle of the backyard to just beyond the back fence. And he set his son to work. He instructed his boy that he could use whatever belonged to the father. It was all at his disposal. The boy worked hard for a long, long time, pushing and pulling, digging and lifting. After lunch, the father went out to check to see how his son was making out. The child told his father, rather defeatedly, that he just couldn't move the rock. It was too big for him. No matter what he tried, he couldn't lift it. He couldn't move it out of place. The chore was left undone. The father asked his son, son, Have you used everything at your disposal? To which the boy replied that he had tried everything. The father then knelt down next to his son and simply said to him in a quiet tone, Why haven't you asked me for help? I've been here all along. I would have loved to help you with this simple but hard command. I think you see the point to that illustration. Friend, you and I this morning often act like that little boy. God has given us an unlimited resource in the Word of God and in prayer, and yet we leave it closed because we do not ask the Father to help us, both in the small and often in the great things of challenging in our life. God has promised through the gospel not just to give us strength, but to be our strength. May we be found to ask Him for His strength. Some of us this morning have turned our wartime walkie-talkies either off or into a domestic intercom, to borrow John Piper's phrase. We ask for selfish things, as James 4 says, and so we don't get them. Or perhaps we don't ask at all. Maybe we are fighting and strategizing and and seeking to, to work out this spiritual warfare against cosmic forces and against the authorities and against principalities of darkness on our own strength, and the war is not going well. We are often defeated, and we are often discouraged. 
Well, there's an aspect of prayer called repentance that comes to mind. Today's the day of repentance, a day of salvation, a day where heaven's strength can be found in great supply if you simply open the channel and you call on Him. May we use the radio. May we pick up the receiver and call in heaven's help. Call upon Christ and ask His Spirit to help meet you, meet us, and direct our battle because it's against an enemy that is fierce and wants to destroy us. But God and His help is greater than our enemy. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Father, while it sounds rather quiet right now, there is a war raging around us. For us, there is a war raging within us, that war with remaining sin and the flesh. And so, Lord, this is a comms check. We just want to make sure that we are in touch with you. Lord, we want you to see and to know that we need your help. We need the grace that set us on a new path at the beginning to keep us on the path and to bring us home all along the way. So, Father, we call desperately to you. I pray, O Lord, that you will help us to treasure this instrument, this wartime walkie-talkie that we have in prayer. Help us to treasure it, but help us to treasure it by using it. All for your glory, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.